Well, good morning. It's nice to be here with you, worshiping the Lord together here at Burke Community Church. I'm so glad that you've decided to come and worship here today. It's impossible in a church this size that we don't constantly have somebody that's facing an illness, a family that's facing some sort of trouble, a cancer, a life and death situation, and we tend to pray about those as a group, but sometimes death forces its way into a family of ours in such an unexpected and unwelcome way. John and Donna Nettleton, John's brother was one of the victims down at Virginia Beach here, and so they've been away and trying to bring some comfort and trying to help other extended family members to make sense out of the senseless that uh, you can never really understand in this life. And so I want us to pray for them this morning as we start the service. Lord, we do lift up John, Donna, their family, their extended family. We lift up the other families of the victims there at Virginia Beach. When evil uh, shows up and commits such a horrible, horrible uh, thing as a mass shooting, it doesn't make any sense from a human perspective. It's hard to know what to do, what to say, how to proceed. And so we ask that your spirit and its role as comforter would comfort John and Donna and the family and the other families as well. Uh, we ask that your sovereign will be done. We don't even pretend to understand what that sovereign will might be in this case, but we have learned to trust you even in the midst of terrible sorrow. And for the other families here at the church that face Every day, waking up with a specter of death looking over their shoulder, we ask for your tender mercy in their lives. We ask for courage and for strength. We thank you for the body of Christ. May we be about your business. May we be your hands, your voice. Uh, may we do what is pleasing to you as we care for those who are hurting. We ask it in your name. Amen. <clears throat> Well, if you're visiting here, if you've just moved to the area and it's your first time here, my name is Michael Coffey. I am one of the pastors here. The senior pastor, Dr. Marty Baker, is away for a few weeks on a sabbatical, and he's an excellent Bible teacher. And so if you've never sat under his teaching, I would encourage you to keep coming back until you get a chance to sit under his teaching. He's truly the most gifted uh, expositor of scriptures that I've ever experienced in my lifetime. And in the process, you'll get to see more and more steel being erected out in the mud out there as the church building uh, goes up. He's away for a few weeks and his idea of a sabbatical might be different than some of ours. His idea of going away to some place with a lot of dusty books and parsing Greek and Hebrew uh, verbs, the rest of us might find that a little trying and tiring. He will come back revigorated and uh, re-energized by that. So I encourage you to come back and hear him when he's in the pulpit. But today I'd like to talk about John the Baptist and the example of him, the idea of greatly diminishing ourselves. And I want you to think for a moment in this town of job descriptions and how important they are to people in this town. Suppose you saw the job description for John the Baptist. <clears throat> Number one, length of employment, less than a year. Number two, main responsibility, decrease in prominence so that Jesus could increase in prominence. Number three, train up some disciples who would then leave and go follow after Jesus and be his disciples. 
Number four, be wrongfully imprisoned and executed on the whim of a cruel monarch. Now, how'd he do on that job description? Well, Matthew 11 gives us an idea where Jesus gives him his evaluation report. Matthew 11, Jesus says, Assuredly, I say to you, among those born of women, there's not been one that's risen that's greater than John the Baptist. And the beauty of meditation sometimes is that when you actually slow down in the frenetic Northern Virginia pace and actually meditate on a verse for a few moments, things start leaping off the page at you. That's what happened to me this week as I was preparing for this message. Whenever I looked at that, when I slowed down, I thought, wait a minute, wait a minute. Jesus is saying that a guy that was in public ministry for less than a year, that of all the patriarchs and everybody else that preceded him, nobody was greater than John the Baptist. I mean, I instantly thought of Moses. He led the children of Israel out of slavery. He parted the Red Sea. I thought about Elijah, he raised the dead, he brought down fire from heaven. I thought about Noah, he built an ark, he saved his family and the world's animals so that the earth could be repopulated. I thought about Isaiah, he wrote a revered and a prophetic book of scripture that talked about the coming Messiah. I thought of Abraham willing to sacrifice and offer his only son in obedience to a directive that God gave. And yet, in the brief time of service given to John, according to what Jesus said, Nobody was greater in the kingdom. I, that was an incredible truth that I just had to sit in my chair in my office for a moment and just ponder. Of course, it made me instantly want to stop and consider his example so that I could try to emulate him and become more like him. But now hang on to your theological hats for another moment because what Jesus said next and the rest of the verse is even more astounding. What he said to the people listening was that, but he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he, greater than John the Baptist. John foretold of the coming Christ, of the coming Messiah, but we as Christians have that same Christ living inside of us, residing in us, living in us. We've been entrusted with the work that he's given to us, that he modeled for us, reconciling a lost world to him. When he floated up from this earth to heaven, promising to return in the future the same way that he left, he said in Matthew 28, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I commanded you. So it's important for us to remember what John seemed to know even during his short ministry, that service to God is the greatest privilege that I'm ever going to have. It's the greatest privilege you're ever going to receive in this life, what you do for the Lord. Now, John probably didn't know how long his ministry would last. In fact, some Bible scholars said it was as short as six months. But he turned to that assignment, that ministry, with all the energy and courage that he had, and we have the opportunity to have Christ carry out his work through our lives so that we can do even greater things than John the Baptist ever accomplished. In fact, it plainly teaches in the book of Ephesians that he has already prepared good works for me and for you just to simply walk in by faith. If we'll do it. If we will be like John the Baptist, but the same mandate that he had is the same one that's on me, that's on you. To deny myself and to exalt Christ. 
Now, that says a lot easier than it does. I realize that a lot of you may be thinking, and you would be brutally honest uh, in expressing this, that the truth that you really feel is that, look, it really doesn't matter that Christ is in me. The hard reality is I'm just too timid, I'm too sinful or whatever, to ever do anything of any significance for God. And so I'm just resigned to living a life feeling like I'm a dis disappointment to God, that I'm incapable of being used for much of anything for his kingdom. And if that was true of you, if you came and said that to me as a pastor in my office, I wouldn't chastise you. I would commend you for the honesty of the way you feel. But then I'd want to share truth from the scripture with you, and I'd want to share a truth that's straight from the mind and the heart of God. Are you ready? Here it is. Here's the truth. God has already been working in your life long before you ever even thought of doing anything for him. He's already been at work in your life. That verse I quoted out of Ephesians, that he has already prepared good works for you to simply walk in, is true. It's throughout the pages of Scripture so that he has things that he's looking for us to do in obedience as we deny ourselves and exalt him. Look at the first chapter of Jeremiah. He's talking to Jeremiah, but he's also talking to us in that. He says to Jeremiah, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I set you apart. I had things I wanted you to do. I set you apart for those. I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you hope. Plans to give you a future. It's throughout the pages of Scripture. Think about the Apostle Paul. When he was converted on a dusty road near Damascus, Jesus already knew Paul. Paul didn't know Jesus, but Jesus already knew Paul. And he already had a very specific assignment with Paul in mind before Paul became a believer, before Paul became a Christian. When he was converted there on the Damascus Road, he was temporarily blinded. God sent a man named Ananias to go put hands on him, pray for him, let the blindness go away. And in Acts 9, it records a conversation between God and Ananias. And he says to Ananias, go, this man Paul is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. God already knew what he wanted Paul to do with whatever days of life he had upon this earth, but he didn't reveal it to him until he had Paul's undivided attention after that Damascus Road conversion. Now for years I worked in the military as a military chaplain with the army and I had about three Pentagon tours. You can decide yourself, I guess, what that says about me and my career or something, that you keep going back to the Pentagon, um, people on both sides of the scale on that one. But th there was one morning that slugging in from Springfield, which is where I was living at the time, sitting in the back seat of a car, doing my daily devotion, reading my scripture, praying to God while somebody else was driving us into the building. And I can guarantee you that myself and everybody else, a few thousand people that were assigned to the Pentagon there at that time, nobody went to work that day saying, you know, today looks like it could be a day that a plane might fly through this building. Nobody was expecting that. 
I can guarantee Paul, as he went down that Damascus road, was not expecting to encounter Almighty God on that road in the Middle East. So let me ask a question, and it might seem like I'm treading far too far from the pulpit into your personal life, but that's okay. <laughs> when you got in the car and came here today, did you really expect to encounter God at church here today? If the answer is yeah, and I hope it's true that it was the answer, then are you prepared to ask the exact same question that Paul asked when he had an encounter with God? His question was pretty simple. What shall I do, Lord? I mean, because here's an axiom or a truth that's never going to change. The Lord does not come to us to discover what we would like to accomplish for him, ever. He never comes to us to see what we would like to accomplish for him. Instead, he encounters us in order to reveal what his activities are, and he invites us to be involved in what he's doing. I love the fact that in John 15, right before Jesus goes to the cross, he's finishing up the upper room discourse. He's talking to his disciples that he's trained for three years. And he says this in John 15, 15. I no longer call you servants because a servant does not know his master's business. Instead, I've called you friends. For everything that I learned from my father, I've made known to you. I've already prepared good works for you to walk in. I'm not asking what you'd like to do for me. I'm inviting you to participate in what I'm already doing. I'm willing to make known to you what I'm doing, what my work is around the world. And one of the things that I've discovered, and I need to continually rediscover it, is that whatever God's activities are, whatever it is his plan, whatever it is he's doing in the world, he's going to complete it, whether I partake in it or not. If I don't, he'll just find somebody more obedient than me. But his work is going to go forward without stopping. He is going to accomplish exactly what he wants to in his world. And so an encounter with God requires that I adjust myself to whatever activity of God he reveals to me. Now one of the things in my four years of uh, being on the staff here is to try to culminate within you as well as myself a devotional life. I want you to read the scriptures every day. I want you to spend time with God. I want you to read those perfect scriptures where he uses those to teach you, to show you what he's about in the world. I want you to spend that time talking back to him as he reveals that because that simple discipline in your life of a devotional time will make you so Christ like over the years I want it to be a part of your everyday life like eating like breathing like sleeping I I want it to be a part of who you are and in the process become like Christ and as encouraging as those devotional times are to me to spend time with my Heavenly Father to hear him speak to me through the pages of Holy Scripture for me to talk to him about the things I'm concerned about they're so good for me they're so I guess liberating they're so refreshing hear me clearly God never meets me in those devotional times just to give me a warm fuzzy feeling <laughs> ever ever it is the very 
words of God talking to me as the God of the universe. It's my heavenly Father listening to me about what I'm concerned about. And in that process, he shows me, here's what I'm about, Michael, and I want you to now do this, take some action this way, do this and be a part of what I'm doing. He's not doing it just to increase my biblical knowledge. He's doing it to change my life and inviting me to join in his work. I want to show you a picture from where I was over in Ghana a couple of weeks ago. We've uh, supported an orphanage uh, over in Ghana for well over 30 years over there. These are some of the orphans that I met when I was over there. We have a family, Rick Wickham, his wife Donna, his kids. They went over to Ghana to start a church. Well, that's hard enough to go to another culture and start a church. But they went over there and they were faithfully trying to start a church. And then in the neighboring country of Liberia, there was this terrible tragedy that happened. Massacre. People being hacked to death by machetes and all. And Rick went over to Liberia to look at some of the refugee camps to see what help maybe he and his little startup church could offer. And he came back. He'd seen so many orphans over there that he came back and he told his wife Donna, I don't see how I can call myself a Christian if I don't do something to help these orphans that I've discovered. So he started an orphanage. Some of our good people went over there. They literally laid bricks. We, we helped to build an orphanage. We've been involved in it. Over time, the church grew. Uh, I'll say it grew. He runs about 3,600 uh, a week. Easter, he uh, runs about 4,500. He has a lot of other people all throughout Ghana that want to uh, hear his teaching and stuff and so as God revealed to him that hey I have a good work for you it's called a television station he now has a television station where he blasts out his uh, church services throughout Ghana in between that they uh, started a school and now they can take kids that they bring in some of them pre-kindergarten all the way up to a level where they can take university exams or learn a trade in between that he uh, got started with a Bible college and then a seminary you know and then because he didn't have enough to do with a uh, huge church, a television station, orphanage, a couple of schools, things like that, he uh, started, he bought this truck. It's an amazing thing as they showed it to me. It's this truck. looks like something out of a Transformer movie where they had this gigantic hydraulic drill on the back of it. And so he goes into all these Muslim areas uh, around there and they'll drill a freshwater well. First freshwater uh, the folks ever had. First safe water they ever had. Geysers come shooting up. The chief will be so impressed uh, there in the area that even though he's Muslim, possibly just by Tati, he'll say, okay, because you did this and you brought some fresh water here, you can start a church here. So then he'll send some of the seminarians and Bible students there and they'll go start a church in a Muslim area. I thought, it's a mom and pop and two kids <laughs> who have been invited to partake in the good works that God has prepared for them. They're very humble. They were asking if we could come over and uh, teach them how to be more effective. I thought, why don't we just come sit at your feet for about a week or something and uh, learn how to really do the kingdom's work or something here. It's a mom and pop and his two daughters there now doing a great work. Now the good news is that Jesus joins those who are earnestly seeking him. God says he can read the heart. I can't read the heart. You can't read the heart. 
He searches for those who are in honest pursuit of his will. He draws near to such believers. He walks with them. He opens their minds to what the scriptures are saying about him and about his individual plan, about what he wants them to be involved in. As Jesus relates the scriptures to what you're experiencing, you, unlike that conversation I gave earlier about I'll never be of any use to God, I'll never do anything, you can have a growing certainty that no, no, that's not true. I'm hearing God's word. I'm studying it. He's speaking to me. And what he is literally saying to me from this is that he has good works prepared ahead of time. If I'll deny myself, if I'll exalt him, he can use me and the kingdom can grow with me being the catalyst that he's using to bring that about. Doubts can vanish. Excitement can grow within you. You, like John, can learn to deny yourself by the power of Christ and exalt him instead. It really doesn't matter how disobedient you've been in the past. It really doesn't matter how much time you might feel like you wasted. Like I said, John may have had less than six months. He was the greatest in the kingdom until the Lord started putting his Holy Spirit inside followers. And then he says, you, the least, can be greater than what John ever, ever did. I'm aware you can become bewildered by circumstances in your life. And so, like me, you need Jesus to occasionally reorient you to himself through the scriptures. That's what he uses time and time again. From your human perspective, your current life situation might be confusing, discouraging. You need Christ to open your eyes to the truth from his perspective. You might have circumstances that are confusing to you, frustrating, weigh you down in your spirit. You need Jesus to give you his perspective. Because once you've heard from him through the pages of the scripture, through that individual time that you're there, through hearing about what he's doing through people like the Wickhams and others, then you can be like John the Baptist. You can be excited to join in, which means I've got to deny myself so that I can join in and exalt him. When you think about the way that the Lord trained up his 12 disciples, I want you to think about this. He told them that he wanted them to come away with him, spend time with him. Turned out to be about three years. What was he doing? He was taking them away to spend time with the truth. What's the truth? He's the truth. He said that. I am the truth. I want you to spend time with me. And in that process, we're going to start burning away some of the draws. We're going to start helping you to get to the point that you will eventually want to deny yourself and exalt me so that you can be prepared to go out and change the world. Let me bring up a slide of what he did during the three years that he's there. When they're walking around with him, Jesus challenged their ambitions. And he chastised their lack of faith. Those two right there get me every time. I don't even have to go through the rest of the list. I'm already guilty as I read that. He would refute Satan's influence on them, what they thought, the way they thought, what they thought was important versus what's truly important. He denounced their pride. And at the end of three years of being with the truth, the truth, he launched them. Filled with the Holy Spirit and they changed the world. We have the truth. He is the word. He is the truth. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So it makes sense that you, least in the kingdom, can be far greater than anything John the Baptist ever did. 
Now, Satan will try to convince you that I'm up here and I'm just blah, 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 talking and, and don't believe anything I'm saying. He'll uh, point out to you every opportunity he gets that how much you sin. But he's a father of lies. He's the deceiver from the beginning. He'll come to you and say, you're a failure. You're of no use to God. I'm aware of a thing or two about spiritual battle. I've been in the ministry for over 40 years. I know what it's like at 2 a.m. in the morning to be lying there awake, aware of the things I've done, the sins I've committed, the hurts I've done, how I've made a number of y'all stumble on any given week. I'm so aware of it. Satan is there at 2 a.m. in my bedroom whispering to me how worthless I am, how badly I do it. But then... If I allow Jesus to reorient me, that all I want you to do, Michael, is confess sin, just agree when you do it, and then it's gone. I say to you, what sin? Because you just agreed with me. And I'm inside you. And you have the power of me to through you. Don't believe the lies. I died for that. You're forgiven. Get up. Get in the fight. I want you to hear that yourself if you're one of these 2 a.m. in the mornings when Satan is talking to you or something. Don't believe the lies that you cannot do anything for the kingdom of God. The least can do greater than John the Baptist. So how do we apply a sermon like this? What's the thing we should do by coming here if we truly want to encounter God and do something? I'm married to an educator. Um, elementary school teacher now she's an English second language teacher and you know so much wisdom is involved in that and all you other teachers that raise up students to be responsible citizens of tomorrow from the wet clay that you're given that wanders into your classroom God bless you and uh, you know sometimes no you can't say that that's mean no we have to share that no this no random acts of kindness I mean in one sense it's fairly simple but it says easy like a lot of things and it does hard that's the way Philippians 2 is look at what it says here in Philippians 2 you want to know how to apply this you want to know how to deny yourself and exalt Christ look what it says in Philippians 2 do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Deny myself so that Christ can be exalted. How do we do that here at this church? There's a thousand plus ways that you can serve others here, that you can deny yourself Take up some of your free time. Take up whatever. Uh, you know, every time we have a meeting here, a men's breakfast, a congregational meeting, or something like that, you know, there's people that take home lots of blue tablecloths to wash them in their own washing machine because somebody has to wash them. And so it takes up their personal time, takes up a little bit of effort and stuff, but they're serving others, and Christ 
is exalted. You come in here, people have come here early to make coffee for you to enjoy. They're going to stick around late to wash out coffee pots. You have people that show up over on the other side of the building to meet with teenagers because they remember what it was like to be a teenager and all the pressure and lies and other things that go with that age. And so they'll sit there as a table host simply to talk with teenagers about what the day's lesson was and to tell them, listen, I was young once. You may not believe it, but I was young once. And this is really important and this will work. You know, you just have to operate by faith. They take time. They sacrifice part of their Sunday morning to be a table host for teenagers. Vacation Bible School is coming up. That is the one event in this church that we uh, see the Spirit of God convert more people than anything else we do every year. But it takes a few hundred volunteers. That means people have to give up their time. They have to sit there with sometimes unruly kids. They have to teach a craft. They have to clean up. They have to mop up. They have to do this. And the kingdom of God grows every year because somebody will decide to deny themselves and exalt others instead. When this new building goes up, it's going to be exciting. It's going to be very exciting until you try to find a parking space because there will never be enough parking spaces out here. Fairfax County, unless God does a miracle and changes the mind, has seen to that. There will never be enough parking spaces out here for everybody just to come in here, find a parking space, and go to the new building, which means that you're going to have to deny yourself, decide I'm going to add 10 minutes on to get a shuttle ride over here to go in, or 10 minutes to the end, you know, 20 minutes total, or you're going to have to walk out here when you see the buses have driven off and good people are still waiting for a shuttle ride. You're going to say, I'm going that way. Would you like for me to give you a ride to the parking lot? Deny yourself. Exalt Christ in the process. See the kingdom grow. You get my point. It is endless. Thousands of opportunities. Get into the fight. Let's close with what Jesus said about John the Baptist. In Matthew 11 again, some of John's disciples had come and spoken with Jesus. And as they were leaving, Jesus began to speak to the crowd about John. And he asked a question. What did you go out into the wilderness to see? A reed swayed by the wind? If not, what did you go out to see? A man dressed in fine clothes? No. Those who wear fine clothes are in king's palaces. Then what did you go out to see? A prophet? Yes, I tell you. And more than a prophet. This is one about whom it is written, I will send my messenger ahead of you who will prepare your way before you. Truly I tell you, among those born of women there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Yet whoever is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. But for that to be true of me, to be true of you, then I've got to follow the same job description as John the Baptist. I've got to deny myself. I've got to exalt him. I've got to serve others. I need to make sure that I am lifting him up and that I am greatly diminished. Let's pray together. Thank you, Heavenly Father, for the example of John the Baptist. Thank you that you've given us your perfect word and your Holy Spirit. And you say that because of you and us and the good works that you've prepared ahead of time, 
that we can affect the kingdom and affect it in a way greater than he did. So help us to be people of faith. Help us to believe your word. Help us to love and serve one another, denying ourselves, exalting you. We'll take a collection now, Lord, and I'm aware that you don't need a thing from us. How could we possibly give you who created everything, anything? But you give us the opportunity to be obedient to what you tell us to do, which is to give freely, give joyfully. I pray we would do that, and I pray that you would use this offering for your kingdom. We ask that your kingdom would come. Amen.